Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. One more time, welcome to Four Corners. Hey, we're going to begin right away in our message. In your message notes, looks like this. You can grab the piece of paper that looks like this, open it up, and you can uh, follow along. So in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 2014, there was a movie that came out. Many of you saw it. The movie was called Unbroken. It was the story of Louis Zamperini, Louis Zamperini, and uh, he was a, a, a war hero. He uh, was born early in the 1900s, but in 1936, he went to the Olympics when it was in Germany. And he was a speed runner, and he did so well that Adolf Hitler wanted to meet him. And so Adolf Hitler shook this young American man's hand and said to him, oh, you're the guy that came on strong at the end. But just a few years later, Zamperini would find himself in the U.S. Army as a member of the Air Corps. And uh, he went literally to fight in and around um, Germany, and then later on in the Pacific uh, Theater there. And on one trip in 1941, his plane was shot down, and he crashed into the Pacific. Uh, I'm sorry, 1943, he crashed into the Pacific. And for 47 days, he and his buddies survived on a raft, a raft in the uh, Pacific Ocean. And they were attacked by sharks. They battled hunger. There was very little fresh water, as you might imagine. And on one particular day, they thought they were about to be rescued, only to discover that it was the Japanese army that began firing at them. And they survived that. And on the 47th day, a boat comes by, and they thought they were saved. But once again, it was not a, a friendly boat. It was a Japanese boat. And he and his buddies, while they were rescued, they were only rescued to be taken to a prisoner of war camp. And in that prisoner of war camp, he encounters a very mean and cruel taskmaster that they gave the nickname The Bird. They called this taskmaster The Bird. And it was a horrible experience for Zamperini. It was horrible. Left him wounded, emotionally, physically drained. And when the Americans finally won the war and he was liberated, he came back. And while he was free on the outside, he wasn't free at all on the inside. There were nightmares there were cold sweats, there were panic attacks, all the symptoms of PTSD. A few years passed and he gets married, but his marriage is in trouble because the internal struggles that he had never resolved about his experience in the war began to manifest themselves in his relationship with his wife. And in desperation one day she went to a tent revival in Los Angeles and the guy who was speaking at the revival, maybe you've heard about him, his name was Billy Graham. And after several days of persuasion, Zamperini's wife compelled him to go. He decided to go. And while he heard Billy Graham preaching, he remembered praying in that raft as he was afloat in the Pacific Ocean. And he remembers calling out to God. He remembers the little Bible he was given, a standard issue in the army and how on occasion he would read it and how when he was in the POW camp he would read it but it never had taken full root in him but as Billy Graham was preaching Zamperini felt his emotions began to get carried away and he stood up he grabbed his wife's arm and he starts walking towards the back door and right as he gets to the exit of the tent he pauses and his mind went back to facing the bird and all the ugly things that happened to him and in a weird twist, he tells the story how rather than walking out the door to get away from this tension-creating environment, he found himself walking towards the front of the room where the Reverend Billy Graham was preaching. And he knelt down, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And that began a change in his life. 
He had already been an Olympic uh, runner. He had been a, a decorated war hero. He had already had people give him a certain amount of accolade and fame. But his decision to follow Jesus changed everything for him. And from that night when he knelt and gave his heart to Jesus, he writes, from that night on, he never had another nightmare. He never ever had another moment where the painful memories of his past spoke so loudly in his present that he could barely function. It was in that moment that not only did he give his heart to Jesus, he writes that in that moment he began to forgive his captors and all the ugly things that had happened to him. He began to forgive. And later on, he writes a letter to the bird extending forgiveness to him. Because of his decoration as a war hero, he was given an opportunity years later to go over to Tokyo where there was a prisoner of war camp. Now on this side in Tokyo, they were prisoners of war from the Japanese side. And in that place, just before everybody was released, he was able to share the story of his conversion. And he shared the story of the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. And he literally hugged the necks of some of the people that were on the island originally that held him captive. And one by one began to extend forgiveness to them. Christian history is littered literally with story after story of people who were able to forgive incredible, incredible hurts and pains. They were able to let it go, to move forward in unbelievable odds. With, with the deck stacked against them, they were able to let go of incredible pain. Look people in the eye and say to them, I forgive you. The story of my family's conversion to Christianity is also a story of forgiveness. When my dad was a middle teenage boy, one night um, at his house, uh, they lived out in, in the middle of nowhere. The closest neighbor's house was a half a mile away. And one night there were some folks throwing some rocks onto the tin metal roof of their little house. And my grandfather, who was a, an aggressive man and given to a lot of alcohol, who had been out drinking and come home drunk. My grandfather goes to the front door of the house, opens it up so that there's a silhouette of him with the light behind him and the night sky in front of him. And he yells out at whoever it is that's throwing rocks at the house, you know, you need to stop, I'm going to get you, and a bunch of profanities. And my dad was there standing beside of him wondering what was going on. And there was a single shot from a rifle, a 22 rifle, and it pierced my grandfather's heart and he fell back into the doorway, and, um, and he died. And his last words spoken were, the sons of guns got me, although he didn't say guns. And uh, my dad watched his father breathe his last breath. And that created an incredible tension in my dad, as you might imagine. When my dad was about 35 years old, he was in a church service, and somebody was preaching about the love of God and the forgiveness of sin. And my dad was ready. He was ready to give his life over to Jesus. And yet he said there was like a glue that held him to the seat as the minister offered for people to come forward and receive new life with Christ. He said there was a glue that held him there. And he knew what it was. It was a deep-seated bitterness and hatred for the man he knew had killed his father. And my dad said in that moment of incredible tension, as the love of God was beating in his heart and calling and beckoning him, 
he had to let go. He had to let go of the bitterness, the hatred, the pain. And he got up from his seat as he began to let go of that. It released him, and he went forward and gave his heart to the Lord. And that changed the trajectory of my family forever. And that story became a part of the, of the narrative of God's activity in my family's life, a deep story of forgiveness. All through Christian history, there are people sitting around you right now who know not only the forgiveness that God offers them for the covering of their sin, they know the power of forgiveness, not just given to them, but the power of forgiveness that flows through them to other people that have hurt them deeply. There are people in this room who have been wronged on the deepest levels and that they have found through God's power and ability to move forward, to let it go, to not be defined by that painful situation. In, in kind of Christian clicheism, there is this idea of forgive and forget. But these people sitting around you and people who tell the story tell you that that slogan, although it conveys maybe some helpful ideas to some extent, it's not really accurate. Because while you can forgive, it's very difficult to forget the people and the moments and the pain that hurts so deeply. In fact, the Bible talks about this. There's a word in the Bible translated as offense, when people offend you or deeply wound you. In Greek, that word is scandalon. We get our word scandalous from it or scandal from it. When scandalon happens to a person, it wounds them. It's not just something that happens as a mistake. It's not just a byproduct of the sin in the world and somebody inadvertently wrongs you. No, this is a deep-seated, often very personal thing that happens. Some of you grew up in a home with deep, deep dysfunction. There was abuse, verbal, maybe physical, possibly sexual. And those wrongs done against you often over time deeply cut into the heart of a person. It's what Zamperini was talking about. When that emotion gripped his life as he literally stood in the doorway of the tent, ready to exit and walk away from it all or possibly turn back. It was the wounding that was such a part of his struggle to move towards Jesus. What do you do as a Christian who's been forgiven for so much, who didn't earn anything that Jesus has ever done for you? What do you do then when you've been the recipient of forgiveness and people wrong you? They take advantage of you, maybe over time. Maybe people you trusted very deeply say very hurtful things about you. What do you do with that? Well, in church circles, you have a couple of options. In some places, you have to act like the thing did not occur. You have to kind of put on the smiley face and move forward because that's what you do as a follower of Jesus. Everything's fine. It's all, you know, rainbows and sunshine. In some Christian circles, you can pray about it a little bit and invite a friend into it. But eventually, you need to get the victory over that thing. And, you know, let it go. Forgive and forget. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this word forgiveness and what it is and what it isn't. And I'm not talking about particularly the forgiveness that God offers you. I'm talking about the forgiveness that greases the wheels of relationship, that becomes the oil that reduces friction in a family. 
We're talking about forgiveness, that God works not in your heart, but through your heart to another person. If you're any age at all, you know the deep pain that comes from relational hurt. So what are you as a follower of Jesus supposed to do? We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to define what forgiveness is and what it isn't. And you can follow along in your message notes. So point one here. For Christians, the word forgiveness needs clarified. So what is biblical forgiveness? I'm going to give you a handful of statements here, and then we're going to look at some passages in a minute. But I want us to kind of right-size our understanding of forgiveness. I want us to calibrate in so that as we talk about this concept that can be so powerful for you, as we talk about it, you have a, a clear and robust understanding of what this word really means biblically. I'm not talking pipe psychology. I'm not talking about what your friend says about it or even what some good-hearted Christian may have spoken to you. What is the biblical concept of forgiveness between men and women who follow Jesus? So here it is, number one. <clears throat> the first thing I want you to understand is that forgiveness is a duty. That word's not very popular. It's a duty. It's a responsibility we have. It's not really optional for a follower of Jesus. And while it is a duty, more so, it's actually an invitation into a fuller life with God. God looks at us and says, I have forgiven you, and I want you to forgive people who've hurt you. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he, he taught them to pray the prayer that says, Lord, forgive my trespasses, even as I forgive those who trespass against me. If you were Catholic, if you were Protestant, it was debts and debtors, Right? Same thing. And so even in the prayer we were taught to pray, this idea of forgiveness comes out and it's, it's given to us as a responsibility. In other words, we have to take it seriously. And like every responsibility, you can focus on the duty side or you can focus on the benefit that comes from following the duty. And in forgiveness, the benefit that comes to you and me is a fuller life with God. Forgiveness, unforgiveness can actually stop the flow of your enjoyment of life with God. Bitterness can choke out spiritual vitality. So then forgiveness and our call to forgive then becomes a vehicle by which those plugs in our heart are pulled out and releases the movement of God in us. Now, not in some sense that you're any more saved, but in the sense of your experience of walking with God. It will literally release from you a blockage Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that God won't forgive us if we don't forgive other people. It's a scary passage. And theologians debate all the implications of that. I don't know all that that statement might mean, but here's one thing I want to submit to you. That if you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, God is incapable of fully working in your life. In fact, the work he wants to accomplish is you releasing that bitterness that's in there. That's what he wants to accomplish. And so your act of letting go of the offenses in a biblically healthy way allows God to have a greater movement in your life. Number two, our statement. Forgiveness releases judgment into God's hand, but it doesn't excuse or minimize the seriousness of the offense. 
In some Christian circles, forgiveness is thrown around. The idea of forgiveness, the word just forgive, those words are thrown around as if they're easy to do. But true biblical forgiveness, while it does release judgment into God's hand, it doesn't excuse or minimize how serious the wrong is that was done against you. In fact, biblical forgiveness takes into account just how deep and serious the pains worked against you can be. When a friend betrayed you, when somebody took advantage of you, when somebody wounded you deeply, the Bible says that while forgiveness means you let go of the need to judge that and to bring justice to the situation, it doesn't mean that God doesn't see how painful the thing was. Number three, or letter C, forgiveness releases the hurt, but it does not necessarily mean that you resume the relationship unless there are changes in the relationship. God, I'm going to do my best to let go of this hurt, but I might not move forward in the relationship until the dynamic in the relationship changes. When we talk about biblical forgiveness, it's not pretending like a thing did not occur. In fact, it literally means we're going to manage, we're going to look at, we're going to take seriously the offense, but that that offense does not scandalize my life. It doesn't define my life. Letter D. Forgiveness is letting go of another person's throat. It's not forgetting what happens. It's letting go of another person's throat. It's not forgetting what happened. It means I'm not going to bring justice to bear. I'm going to let God bring justice to this situation. That's what it means. I'm going to let God bring justice I'm not going to hold on to that person's throat. It's a very tough thing to do when you've been deeply hurt and deeply wounded. There's a quest in all of us. There's a desire in all of us for justice to be worked in the world. That's why when you watch the nightly news and you see horrible things happened around the globe, in your neighborhood. That's why something inside of you says somebody should do something about that. There's a quest for justice in all of us. But with forgiveness, you're agreeing to let go of their throat and give it over to God. The next one, forgiveness is personal. It's personal. And only people that can forgive are the people who've been wronged. Now, the reason I have to bring this up is in our society, it seems like the idea of forgiveness frequently makes the headlines. A few years ago, it was um, Carla Faye Tucker and the ugly situation, and she gets on television and asks for forgiveness. You don't remember that, you can Google it. I'm sure it'll come right back to your mind. There was the Oklahoma City bombings, for those of you old enough to remember that, and there was all kinds of talk about forgiveness and how people should respond to that. I remember one particular school shooting where somebody walks into a school and opens fire, and several students are, are murdered, and there were calls for quick forgiveness. And I get that. It's helpful corporately to forgive. But biblically speaking, the person that has to forgive is the person who was wronged. I can't forgive somebody who wronged you. You have to. You can't forgive somebody who wronged me. You can only forgive to the degree that you've been hurt. And this makes forgiveness deeply personal for us. Now, in a culture where grace can be cheap, forgiveness can also be cheap where sins don't matter, and it's almost as if we're afraid to at all speak about anything in a serious manner in hopes that we can make nobody feel guilty at all. 
But when grace is cheap, then forgiveness is also cheap. But for our Heavenly Father, forgiveness is a big, big deal. And when we get into Scripture in just a second, you're going to discover why He so encourages you, in fact, commands you and me to let go of the hurt that can hold us back. It's because He puts such a high value on us and our life with Him that He takes it so seriously. Our next statement, forgiveness doesn't require you to trust the one forgiven, but it does prepare your heart should they ever confess and repent to build a bridge of, recon uh, of reconciliation or restoration. Forgiveness does not require you to trust a person. That's a different action. Forgiveness begins a journey where regardless of what the other person does, you let it go and give it to God. And in place of bitterness and hurt, God begins to fill you with love and compassion and peace and joy. By the way, in the book of Romans, that's what God says the kingdom of God is like. That when we walk with God, it's like love, joy, and peace and righteousness through the Holy Spirit of God. And so what happens with forgiveness is, is we begin to let go of those things that stop the flow of joy and peace into our life. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we fully embrace the person back into our lives. That's a different process. So forgiveness is about letting that thing go, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is fully restored. And the, sec the seventh thing I want you to think about is that forgiveness is a process, and you're going to likely have to remind yourself frequently that you have been forgiven and that you have to forgive. Somebody said, forgiveness is like the tolling of a church bell. You go pull the string two or three times and you get that bell to ringing. But when you let go of the rope, just the raw energy that was created by the weight of that pendulum swinging back and forth, sometimes even though you've let go of the weight, that energy keeps it moving. And forgiveness operates like this. Is that the hurt is like the pulling of the rope. And even though it's over and you've let it go, you've let the rope go, sometimes the energy of that kind of keeps moving over your soul. And you have to remind yourself, I've let this go. God, I've given it over to you. And if you, again, have been walking with Jesus any length of time, you've already felt the pull of God's spirit on your life to let go of hurt and damage that other people have done to you. It's near the center of what God wants to do in a person's life. That's why the Proverbs tells us, don't let bitterness take root in your heart. I grew up for the first 11 years of my life in the inner city of Chicago, and we didn't have much of a yard, but we had a lot of concrete. We had a lot of concrete around us. And I remember walking to school, and you'd see, you know, you'd see some concrete, there'd be a crack in it, and there'd be a small little piece of greenery growing up through a crack. And often, right beside the sidewalk, perhaps, would be a, a large tree, and sometimes the roots would grow in such a way that over time, that concrete would be lifted and it would break. That's what bitterness does. It literally gets into the cracks in our hearts, and it grows, it takes root, and over time, it can destroy. So God says to us, forgiveness is core to what I want to do in your life. I want to offer you forgiveness through the sacrifice of my son, but I also want you to be a conduit of forgiveness. It's both to us and through us. 
So, being a Christian and forgiving are irrevocably, irrevocably connected. So I, I must press into forgiveness if I'm a Christian. And here's why. First one is because God has forgiven me. I've got to press into forgiveness because God has forgiven me. Let the words of Scripture kind of wash over you here. Colossians 3.13. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember, the Lord has forgave you, so you must forgive others. About six different places in the Bible, there is a black and white commission to all of us who are following Jesus. Because of God's great love for us, the Bible says. Because of what he has done. In Ephesians 4, remember, you have received, and as you have received, freely give. We have to forgive because we are recipients of forgiveness. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. God forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to, the, to Christ's cross. And in the same way, we're to do that for and to other people. But there's nothing easy about this. And the harder the offense, the longer it occurred, the longer it goes, the harder it is to let it go. So God reminds us as his children regularly that forgiveness is normal for a follower of Jesus. And yet we know how hard it is. That's why when we hear stories of Zamperini or maybe the little bit that I shared about my dad, who a few years after he gave his life to Christ, goes to a hospital. And in the bed, ready to die, is the man who pulled the trigger and murdered my grandfather. And my father went into that hotel room as an adult man with kids and looked at that man in the eyes and said, I forgive you. My dad says it's the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. I forgive you. And he put his hands on that man's shoulder and prayed for him and asked God to bring him to peace, the man to God. A few weeks later, I was with my dad and we were driving around the hills from where he grew up, and he pulls off on this side road. And I said, what we're doing? He said, I just want to check something out. And we walked over, and there was a little graveyard. And in the corner of the graveyard was my grandfather's headstone. And I looked over, and I saw my very strong dad weeping like a baby. I didn't see that often. I counted on one hand the number of times I saw my dad really cry. And I realized this was kind of like a special and tender moment. And I watched a spiritual giant who had forgiven over and over as the pain come up, stand in front of his father's grave for the first time since he had been murdered. So it's 30 years have passed. And I saw him one more time let go of that painful thing that had happened and marked his life and had a dramatic impact on him. As we got back into the car, it was incredibly silent. And I didn't know what to say, and I'm an idiot, and I tend to talk, you know, a little little too quickly, and I said, so how do you feel? And he said, horrible. Like, wrong question, wrong question. So I thought I'd try again. So tell me about that, Dad. What, what was this all about? And he said, I keep bringing it to the Lord, and somehow it keeps coming back. And I just wanted one more time to say to God, God, to the best of my ability, I give it. 
Sometimes pain can run so deep, it's incredibly hard. These are often the things that don't get done in a single prayer. But you got to press into it because, number two, because bitterness, if you let it, it will shrink your soul. It'll shrink your soul. So in Hebrews 12, 15, be careful that none of you fails to respond to the grace which God gives. For if he does, there can be, there can very easily spring up in him a bitter spirit, which is not only bad in itself, but can also poison the lives of many others. Bitterness will shrink your soul. And so if you're holding on to hurt and unforgiveness, if you're frustrated and it goes beyond just the moment and it lingers and you're holding on to that thing, I've seen it destroy marriages. I've seen it pull the powerful potential away from godly parenting. I've seen it wreck churches. Unforgiveness becomes bitterness that shrinks our soul. And what God wants for us, what he wants for you, is for your life to thrive with him. We have to forgive because unforgiveness blocks God's grace in my life. And I don't mean ultimately. You can go to heaven carrying those things. I'm talking about the active work of God's grace in your life here and now. It's like you can't experience the full release and forgiveness God offers you while you're holding on to the other stuff people have done to you. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, if you don't, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. Again, I don't know all that it means, but on the bare minimum, it means that there is a stoppage of the flow of grace into your life. So how do you, how do you find the strength to forgive? How do you let go of that church person that hurt you? How do you move past that family member that betrayed you, that took from you? I don't know all of it, but here are some things that I have had to work through myself. And I offer them to you because as brothers and sisters in Christ, God cares deeply about our family. And it pains him when his children don't get along. But it pains him even more so when the natural consequence of living in a fallen world and struggling between the spirit and our flesh, when that gives rise to offense, it pains him when we don't operate in the spirit of forgiveness that he so freely gave to us. I want to offer you a handful of steps, and this isn't a checklist to work through, but this might be able to give you some handles on how to move forward. So one of the ways you can find strength to forgive is by relinquishing your right to get even. By relinquishing my right to get even. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For he has said he will repay those who deserve it. We don't talk about it a whole lot around here, but it's a spiritual truth that there is a payday coming and God will right every wrong and he will bring justice to bear on every sin that's ever been committed. He will. That day is coming. The Bible describes it as the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's great if you're with God and it's terrible if you're not. So there's a day coming, but even before that day comes, we can let go of it and give it over to God and say to God, God, I will give it to you to the best of my ability. It's not my right to get even. As a child of God, 
you didn't bring justice to bear on me. You brought grace to bear. And I've then given up my right to bring justice to bear on those people that have wronged me. I'm going to let go of the hurt. I'm going to get rid of my right to get even. Romans 12, 19, one more time. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. Because God says he'll repay what needs to get repaid. Let me give you a second one, though, and this is where I think the light starts to shine a little bit brighter. By responding to evil with good. Luke chapter 6. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Before our church ever went public, we had been meeting for a year and we took out an ad in the Westchester newspaper, half-page ad. We didn't have a lot of money. We pulled our money together and took out a West, uh, an ad. And we, it, the ad went something like this, you know, new church coming to the area, Union Center. We were meeting at the rave. We planned to meet at the rave theater. So the ad literally said, church, question mark. And then underneath it said, well, sort of. Right? That's how we let out. What we were trying to say was, is while we are a church, we're not going to be like maybe every other church you've been to. You know, we're not going to fix all that's wrong, but we're going to try to. And then we listed out a few of our values that we're going to try to live. You know, we're going to try to make sure that the Bible is not compromised, but preached with relevance. And we're going to try to not just have a Sunday self, but we're going to believe that all of our lives is spiritual. We laid out the four values of four corners. So it's kind of like church, but maybe not like a church you'd ever heard. And we got all kinds of press on that and people emailing. And the next week when the Westchester Pulse Journal came out, there was an ad. It wasn't ours. It was a half page. It looked exactly like ours. It said, church, question mark, absolutely 100%. And underneath it, another church had written these words. If you're tired of half church, if you're tired of sermons that aren't based on the Bible, if you're tired of people who look like Christians but aren't really Christians, then come to our church. And it was a direct response. And I was ticked. <laughs> I felt righteous indignation rise up in me, and I was ready to go to battle. I mean, I, I was so angry, I didn't know what to do. So we had, a, we had a meeting, you know, called a meeting, first called meeting of the church. And we were going to set things right. So I made the pitch for what we should do. And one of the guys raised his hand. He said, what if, what if we bless them? It was like a you know, record scratch. You know. It's like, what? What? He's like, what, what if we got together some money and we sent it to them and said, hey, we just want to bless the work that you're doing. Well, I felt really unspiritual. <laughs> and remember, I'm supposed to be the pastor. And um, God's man of faith and power. And um, so what we did is we got together some money. And I called the pastor and said, um, hey, I'm uh, Ben Hodges. And you could just hear the quiet on the other end. Of, and I'm with Four Corners Church, the new church that's coming to the area. And he says, what can I do for you? I said, absolutely nothing. I said, we, we had a meeting the other night, and we're just trying to bless your church, and I'd like to send you some money. It's the first time as a church we had had to deal with, you know, kind of outside tensions. Not the last, but the first. And it taught me something very powerful about how unifying it is when we just follow and how freeing it is when we follow what the Lord tells us to do here, to respond to evil 
with good. And I don't know if they were evil or misdirected or didn't understand us, but I know in the moment I learned the power of how to bless instead of curse. Number three, I think that with forgiveness, sometimes you have to work the process as long as necessary. So when Peter was talking to the Lord about this, Matthew 18, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Seven times? Which seemed very generous. No, 70 times seven. In other words, as much as it takes. As much as it takes. Number four, here's another action we can take. By sharing with others the good news of God's forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know if you know this, but this is what God gives to us as a job. It's pretty powerful. It says a lot about how he values us. 2 Corinthians 5. Through Christ, God made peace between us and himself. And God gave us the work of telling everyone about the peace we can have with him. God was in Christ making peace between the world and himself. In Christ, God did not hold the world guilty of its sins. And he gave us, that's us in this room, the message of peace. Or depending on your version, the ministry of reconciliation. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. And sometimes by sharing the good news that forgiveness is offered through Christ, Remembering that and bringing that to mind, it helps us to move forward on forgiving those that have hurt us. But I'm going to share with you what I think is the most practical thing you can do to begin to chip away at bitterness in your heart against somebody who's hurt you. Number five, by praying for the person who wronged you. This is incredibly hard to do. And praying for them with kindness and gentleness and compassion in your heart. I've prayed for people that have wronged me. The prayers often go like this. Lord, kill them. <laughs> Take them out. I, I can find a few Old Testament passages that kind of look that way. You know, David, you know, help me rise above my enemies. We even sing the song. We know we're going to see the enemy run. But the New Testament makes it very clear that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not people. We wrestle against powers that are at work, powers of darkness that are meant to destroy, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. When we pray for the people that have wronged us, something shifts in our hearts. Many of you know the story of Job, a righteous man who had all kinds of horrible things happen to him. And when he was down, his friends come to him and they begin to pile on. They abandon him emotionally. They blame him. They give him bad advice. These are not good friends. And at the end of the story of Job in our Bible, God begins to restore back to Job the life that he had before, in fact, more than. But there was this ugly thing between Job and his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Great names. If your friends are named that, get out now. <laughs> Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. But, so while this, the material stuff was moving forward, there was this breach. And so God comes to Job and says, Job, here's what we're going to do about that. When you pray for your friends, I'll restore that relationship. And so in Job 42.10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. There was something about Job's, even though God was in the restoration business already, when Job let go of that and said, I forgive, I move on, I pray for, God bless my friends, that's when the full restoration of Job began to manifest itself. Praying for the people that have hurt you is incredibly powerful. 
And I have found that God will chip away. When people come to me sometimes and they say, Ben, I just feel distant from God. I, I have a few go-tos. I'm going to share it with you. If you ever come to me, you're gonna, here's what you're going to hear. I'm going to say, hey, tell me a little bit about your personal walk with the Lord. How about, how, how's prayer and scripture going for you? And often people say, you know, I'm just, I'm just not doing that. And I go, well, that's not that much of a surprise why you feel distant. And if they go, you know, I'm kind of good on that check, I go, well, all right, let me, let me, let me just press in. Is, is there personal unrepentant sin in your life? And so sometimes that's the issue, and we'll pray about that and give it to the Lord and ask for God's grace and, you know, get up and rise in the spirit that God gives us to move forward against those things. And sometimes that, that'll clear it up. But if those two don't do it, my third thing to always ask is, are you harboring any bitterness? Is there any unforgiveness? Because I have seen that stop the flow of our sense of God's work in our lives. When I was a child, there was a lady that came to my church and spoke. And uh, I remember as a kid sitting in the auditorium being captivated by her story. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. And I thought that was an interesting name anyway. And I remember sitting uh, maybe 12, 13 years old, hearing her tell the story how that she had been taken from Holland into a German concentration camp. And she had a horrible, horrible experience there in that concentration camp with her sister. Her sister, whose name was Betsy. And it was a horrible, horrible existence. They were stripped naked, had to march in front of the guards. They were whipped routinely. It was so bad in Ravensbrück concentration camp where they were that she watched her sister Betsy die. And on Victory in Europe Day when the uh, Allied forces overcame the Axis forces and they were set free, she was allowed to go back to her home and she set up a halfway house for people who were recovering from their experiences in concentration camps. She was a follower of Jesus and that was the only thing she had to hold on to, even though she had some Jewish, you know, ancestry. And she would often get up and tell the story how, as people from Holland are very aware, they're never far from the sea. She'd tell the story. She'd like to say that God takes our sins and throws them into the deepest parts of the sea. She's telling that story. And I'm just captivated. But then she goes into a second part of the story, where she says, there came a day when... I was traveling from Holland to Germany and I was invited to speak to a defeated German audience just a few years after the war. And I was telling the story and I did my standard line that one time you ask God for, to forgive you and he forgives you and he takes your sins and he puts them in the deepest part of the sea. And she said, I looked out among the crowd and there was one man I recognized. And he had been one of the guards at Ravensbrook, one of the cruelest ones. She had personally been beaten by him. And she said panic gripped her, gripped her heart. She tells the story how that after she was talking, he comes up to her and asks forgiveness. And while she didn't want to, she had no strength in herself to forgive, Something transpired and she felt her hand being extended out in a shake of reconciliation. And she said at that moment she stepped into the deepest depths of God's grace and empowerment. I don't know 
what you need to forgive. Maybe today this is not really for you. My hunch is there's a few of us in this room who know what it is to have deep pain. I'm not talking about reconciling and rebuilding trust. That's for a different thing. And I'm not saying about acting like it didn't care. It didn't matter and and you don't care about it. I'm talking about the power of God today available to you so that that hurt, that unforgiveness, that beginning of a root of bitterness can be dealt with by the grace and the power of God. And if you feel like you can't do that, you're not alone. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you, you can't, in your own strength, forgive those kinds of hurts. But God's grace and God's powerful and God's power is pretty amazing. His grace is strong enough, his power is big enough that he can help span that gap. As a church family, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. One of the things I like about communion is this, is it reminds us of the way that God nourishes and nurtures our souls. When we come forward as a family of followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters, we pick up that broken bread. It represents the broken body that Jesus shed for us. When we dip it in wine or grape juice, for us, the large glass is wine, the small glass is grape juice, and we put it in our mouth, it allows us to, in a spiritual way, in a metaphoric way, to feast on all that God supplies us. So if you don't feel strong enough today to begin to chip away at the bitterness in your own strength or at the unforgiveness, the good news today is there is power from God available to you. It's the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power that made the forgiveness that God offered you for the covering of your sins. It's the very power that made that effective. In that it really worked to take away the penalty of your sin. It's the power and the love and the grace that held Jesus to a cross. It's the oil that keeps relationships moving and churches forward focused, and families centered on the right values. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody does it. But for those of us who need to, I'm going to suggest to you that you will never experience the fullness and the freedom that God offers until you press in. And you may have to, like the ringing of that bell, you may have let go of the rope, and you may, maybe today you let go, and you may feel it The energy of that thing still moved the bell for a while. But don't give up. Don't give up. God will help you. And you can go to him over and over and over again as much as you need. And he'll help you let go. And maybe, maybe you restore a relationship. Maybe that person attempts to rebuild trust. Maybe they come to you in repentance and ask for, maybe they don't. But you don't have to be in a prison of unforgiveness because of God's great love for us, because of his unlimited power, he still sets people free from the prison of bitterness and unforgiveness. Here's what I'd like for us to do. We're going to take some next steps and pray, and then we're going to take communion together. Would you grab out your connect cards, and let's move forward as a congregation today. We call today heads up. And I'm asking that today you would lift your heads 
and look full into the face of Jesus at the strength and forgiveness, the love and the grace that he has for you. And you would let that empower you to begin to forgive and chip away at bitterness. And perhaps today, I've been talking about a God that forgives, but you don't know him. So every week we give people a chance to take next step A, which for us says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And if you need to experience forgiveness like you've never known, you can do that today. As an act of your faith, you can take the pen we provided and just check next step A. And when we pray, you can agree with what the Bible says about you. God, I'm a sinner. And I cannot save myself. I'm powerless to wash away my own sin. And so I come to you, Father, and I ask you to take the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and apply it to my life so that I can have a relationship with you. Wash away my sins. I want to follow you with my life. If you'll do that and put the card in the offering bucket at the end of the service, we'll communicate with you this week about what it means to be a forgiven child of God. Give you some tools to move forward in grace and freedom. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. At the end of this month, we have a, uh, an amazing uh, baptism coming up. I, actually, I think it's in March. So, or in March. So if you check the box, we'll answer your questions and uh, we'll get you signed up to be baptized. And we'll celebrate the idea that you are raised to life with Christ. And that all the stuff that separated you from him has been washed away. Next step C says this. This might require some boldness. On your part, it says, I'm carrying some unforgiveness that I've been unable to release. Would you pray with me? I don't have to know what it is. If you want to tell me, write it on your Connect card. If not, just check the box. And we as a staff will pray for you this week. That you will know the strength of God to come alongside you and comfort you and encourage you and strengthen you to deal with the thing that's a block between you and another person. Next step D says this. I'm going to pray this prayer every morning. Heavenly Father. I need your power to release and forgive. And then you put a person's name in there. Would you please replace my hurt with the peace of Jesus Christ? Where I've carried anger and bitterness, let me grow in compassion. So if you check this, I'm going to send you this prayer. And I'm going to ask you every morning this week to just pray it. God, help me let it go. Put the name in there. And I'm asking you, Father, where I've been carrying it, you instead replace it with love and peace. And the next step, E, is about our church family. We have a core rally coming up on March 26th. We're going to feed you a light dinner. So if you're a part of this church, if you're a volunteer, you can come. And if you'll check this box, I'll send you the reminder and the sign-up link and all that good stuff. So if you're a visitor or a guest with us today and you want to know what this church is like behind the scenes, that's what this meeting is. You can check it and you're invited to come too. There are no secrets here. Let's pray, and then we're going to take communion together after a moment of reflection. Ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, and he gave his life on a cross. And there was no barrier because of his work between us and you. You destroyed it all. You gave us free forgiveness. And so, Father, I join with those people in this room right now that are saying, Lord, forgive me. Wash away my sins. I want to follow you with my entire life, I receive the free forgiveness you offer. And Lord, I want to pray with the men and women in this room who beyond just receiving forgiveness from you need to be a conduit of forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to heal hurts in people's hearts. That, God, you'd begin to chip away at bitterness. 
I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate and shine light into the dark places of our heart where we might be hiding hurt and unforgiveness. And that you would, you would anoint our hearts with your oil. It would become a salve, a healing salve for us. I pray, Lord, even right now that people would begin to release their hurts and their pains to you. And they would receive in its place love and peace and joy and righteousness through the Holy Spirit. God, I'm asking that your free grace, the oil of forgiveness would flow through this place. And you would keep us well-oiled as we interact with each other, that the normal ups and downs, the sins of this world, as it bumps and bruises God, that that would not stop the forward momentum of what you're doing in and through this place. So Lord, heal marriages. Restore wayward children. Unite disconnected siblings. Heal friendships. And let this be a place of grace and God, while we may not do everything well and do everything great, would you let us love greatly as you've taught us? I pray this all in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Would you pay attention to this video? It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards in the concentration concentration camp. And that man said, I have I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing and we had to stand naked. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells they took his garments He hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister. 
through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I am not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. <laughs>